Uh, so this morning we're going to do something a little bit different, and uh, we were going to go through, going to go through Psalm 23 two weeks in a row, and then I, I just really sensed that God didn't want me to do that, and so I'm going to pivot. Uh, again, next week we're going to start a new series called You Matter, which is really about the sanctity of life. It's about how and why you matter according to the Bible. I think it's important. I think it's culturally important, and I think it's important to a lot of you. But today, I wanted to uh, just take this kind of week that was flexible in our schedule. I, I taught through Psalm 23 last week a little bit, and, uh, and, and I just thought it was important today to pivot and, and really to talk about what we're trying to do here as a as a church, and uh, and so you could call this Vision Sunday. Some churches have been advertising Vision Sunday for two months. We decided to do it last Monday, uh, and so we're a little behind. It doesn't really fit with Vision Sunday very well when you don't plan properly. But but today, uh, I just want to talk about what we're trying to do as a church, and and I hope it'll be uh, exciting to you. You're here. You're a part of it. If it's your first Sunday, I guess this is kind of us peeling back the curtain and saying, look, here's here's what we're trying to accomplish. If if you go here, if you've been a part of this church. Uh, or if you're new and a part of this church, then, then I think it's going to be important for you and just seeing what are, we, what are we trying to do here? Because I, I, I would guess you're like me in that you feel pretty good about where we are as a church and the things that we're doing and the things that God is doing through us. You come on Sundays, you see that we're growing, you don't know people's names anymore, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, we have leaders in almost every key position, which for years we, we just didn't we had leaders in no positions at all sometimes and, uh, and and so you can look around and you can see like hey God's God's doing something here we'll talk about some of those things in a second but but also you you can look around and and you know you may you may not say it to me you may not be a critic but you can look around and say wow there's some there's some things we could do better there's there's improvement we we can make here we can keep going and this, this isn't it obviously I mean if this is it then then we've arrived and we can shut it down but there's so much more work to be done here in our midst and the things that and the things we're doing but also you know in the world around us the world that we've been called to reach by Jesus himself and so here's kind of this question that that uh, I, I kind of posed when I was asked to speak at one of our denominational things. And I'm going to rephrase it, word it differently here. But, but here's, here's a question. I wrestle with this. Uh, I, I struggle with this personally because uh, you can guess this about me if you've been around here at all. But I'm always on the, my mind works with the things that we still need to accomplish all the time. And, and I hardly ever see the good things because I'm just the way I'm wired, I'm focused on on the bad things, the things we're not doing so well. Hopefully nothing's terrible, but like the things that we're not doing so well that we need to fix, that we need to do better. And I say this a lot in sermons because it's so true and it's just the way I'm wired and it gives you insight into how I think about church and, and, and the type of leader I want to be. But sometimes during a Sunday service, I'm thinking about the next one and like, well, that needs to get fixed and that organizationally was a problem this morning. And so what are we going to do differently this week to make sure that those things don't happen again and and so here here's the question and, and now you know what side I fall on but like when do we celebrate what should we celebrate if there's always some good things happening that's not true of every church but at our church there's always seemingly good things happening but there's always things we want to make better what is it that we should celebrate in church what is worth celebrating and and frankly I think that most churches 
have it wrong. I don't like to be that guy. I love other churches. I'm good friends with the pastors in this town and other pastors in our denomination. But, but I think most churches really get it wrong when they, when they consider or just when they feel what they should be celebrating. And here's a little piece of evidence uh, that I think is so telling, and it's, it's sad. Um, approximately half of pastors who lead churches of 250 people or fewer have experienced depression but only 32% of pastors leading churches larger than that have experienced depression. That's an 18% swing. That's pretty fascinating. And what it tells me is that these pastors are looking at their, the size of the organization and they're saying, well, it's not worth celebrating because it's not over 250. They probably don't have a clear-cut number like that. But my church isn't growing. My church isn't progressing. I don't, I'm not seeing the, the ministries come out of this thing that I wanted to see out of it. And so I, I'm actually depressed. Like I'm sensing real-life depression. And guys at bigger churches are like, look, I've done it. I've arrived. I, I got this under control, and, and I feel good about myself. I have staff to do all the things that I don't want to do, and, and we, we're moving forward, and we're making an impact, and, and so I, I don't suffer from depression. Uh, I think it's interesting because um, 62% of, of pastors that are working at churches that are pastoring churches that have declining attendance numbers. 62% have, have struggled with depression in the past. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, that's a pretty large jump. That's a 30% jump from pastors over 250 to pastors that have declining numbers within their congregation. And what it tells me is that pastors are basing their celebration of what's happening in their church uh, simply on attendance. And man, that's a bummer because the weather plays such a role in that. Uh, and, and so I would hate to be that guy because it's so fickle and, and we just, you know, it goes up and down and all around. It's like the stock market and you hope in five years you're up. Uh, but, but over time, you're going to see ups and downs and all arounds. But it tells me that, that for many, for many pastors, their focus, what they want to celebrate is simply numerical growth within their congregation. And I think that's because that's where the pressure comes. I, I, I've said this before in sermons too. Whenever I say I'm a pastor, the, the first question is, how big is your church? That's always the question. It used to be the youth pastor because I looked younger and I don't get that as much anymore. But now it's, it's how big is your church? Are you growing? How big is your church? Those are the two questions that, that everybody always wants to know about your church. And as a pastor, you find yourself falling into the trap of just like almost leading with it. Here's what we're up to. You sell it at highest point possible. You know, Easter plus a few people who are missing and you tell them that's your number or whatever. And then you can celebrate, right? Because look, we got bigger or whatever. This is how, this is the way in which I think most people are thinking about about church. This is how they're thinking about what should be celebrated in church. Is it going up in numbers or is it not going up in, in numbers? I think that's a terrible way to look at it. I, I think churches can suck and still grow, frankly. Uh, I think that a, a pastor can be an incredible organizational leader and, and cause a church to move forward numerically and, and really be a bad pastor at the same time. I think those things can go hand in hand. Uh, I, I just posed this question, what do we celebrate? Because I, I sense in myself, and I think churches can kind of be this way. 
You're on one of two sides. You're either arrogant in your ministry or you're discouraged in your ministry. Like, look what we're accomplishing. Look how great we are. Look at what God's doing here. Or you're just discouraged. Like, I wish more things were happening. I wish things were better. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And and this is never going to get better. Arrogance or discouragement. And frankly, I sense those two things in me. Um, it's funny because they don't align with the normal things, but sometimes after our greatest successes, I'm the most discouraged about what's happening in our church. I can't explain the phenomenon, but it, it happens in me. I'll wake up Monday morning like, man, we have to fix everything and blow it up and redo it. I told you I'm kind of wired that way. Uh, and these are after the greatest successes. And here's, here's, here's what I think. I think that we sense arrogance or discouragement when it comes to our church, and some of you have been here through both of those things, right? Discouraging days and, and arrogant days, exciting days, days that are good. Today, I think, is one of those days, and I think what God's doing in our church right now, it's one of those times it would be easy for us to say, look at what we are doing. And I think that it happens, that we kind of teeter-totter between those two things, because I think that sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. This is a big deal to me. This is like a message that I try to share with as many other pastors as I can. I want to. Uh, I want to share this with everybody because I think the wrong questions are too often asked in the church, and I think it leads to really the wrong conclusions often, but it also leads to that teeter-totter between discouragement and arrogance. And, and, and here's, like, here's one. It's, it's terrible in our denomination. It's, it's really bad, but like here's one. How have we always done it? That's the question for churches. So many churches, like, what have we always done? What does church always look like? How was it before all these liberals took over, you know? I mean, before these stupid millennials got involved. I mean, what were we doing back then when the music was good and, and old? It was old music, and now they have all these things, and I don't know the words, and it's too loud, and there's drums, and how, how have we always done it? We're not that church at all, so some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. This has been my church my whole life. But, but this, is, this is all too common. Like, what have we always done? And, and some churches, they, they, that's it. That's the question. How do we just keep doing it the way that we've always, the way we've always done it? I, I think we, we'd ask this one a lot, two questions that kind of go together. How do we please people? That's a really common question. Slash, how do we impress people? And, and I see this, man, I see this in a couple of ways. I, I, I'm a part of groups on Facebook that allow uh, they they kind of have these church production people in them, and so lighting and sound guys, and you know, their <laughs> our church budget is their soundboard, you know, like, and, and so we're in different worlds, but they're really helpful to me, and so I, I value these groups. But so often I feel like in these guys who are paid to do the production of church, which I'm so thankful for their gifts and they're kind to me, so I'm not discrediting all that. I'm just saying, so often it seems like the question they're asking is, how do we impress people? How do we look better? How do we make the light? a little cooler how do we become a cooler church how do we how do we move forward and and people coming in and saying wow and frankly I think that this worked for a long time in in American church history the the late 80s to early 2000s this was an incredible model for growing a church like we just impressed them more we just do cooler things because nobody had ever done that in the church space before and so all of a sudden you have lights and a better band and people are like wow let's go to that church 
but also see like the pleasing side of things. And, and I think it's so backwards today because so many denominations, I, I think, are just giving in to cultural value systems because they just want to please people. Oh, oh, you don't think that the Bible says this about homosexuality? Well, we agree, you know, and so don't be mad at us. Don't be upset with us. We will just, we'll just take your point of view and, and we will agree with you so that you're, we please you, which is it, what's funny and interesting about that is, is that those denominations are dying. Uh, and so it's not working because I think what happens is that people look and they say, well, this church is no different than all my other people in my life. Why would I go there? I mean, why would I give up Sunday morning for something that's not teaching anything different than I can pick up on every news station and every blog post? There's no reason for that. People are not idiots. I think church leaders think that they are sometimes, but they're not. And, and so those churches are dying while trying to please people. And then this question, and I know this is a part of what we want to do, but I think one big question that's just out there and becomes the key question the key question, even though it's a great question, this becomes the key question, how do we reach people? And, and so that gets into all those other things, like what impresses people and what pleases people and where can we walk the line, you know, and not say anything offensive. How do, how do we reach people? What do we do? And that becomes for many churches just the, the only question. How do we get more people in these doors to hear the gospel, which is a good question, but I would, I would say that I don't think it, it's the key question. And we're gonna get to the key question in, in this sermon. And so here, here's what I want to do. I want to look at Philippians 3.20 because I think it says uh, so much about what we want to be as a church and, and what we're trying to do as a church. And here's what Philippians 3.20 says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's such an incredible line. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. There's great success at our church right now. I would be lying if I, it's weird. I've actually, I've talked to Brandon, our music guy, about this before. I don't know why I do this when I say Brandon's name, but it <laughs> seems kind of natural. Um, but but I, uh, I was talking to him about this, and, 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 you know, for the first five years I was the pastor, people would ask me, how's things going at your church? And I would find the best way possible to tell them, like, oh, we have so far to go. It's not great, you know? And now all of a sudden, that question comes, and I think, wow, so many great things are happening at church. How do I answer this question without sounding arrogant? Like, without looking like I'm bragging about the church and the people in my church and the things that is happening at my church. There's been this incredible shift. And, and you can see some of these things if you've been around at all. I mean, like numerical growth. That's, that's the easiest one to see. You don't even know this, but we keep putting out more chairs, and, and so it doesn't necessarily feel like when you walk in that they're any fuller because we keep putting out more, and, and then they keep, they keep being enough chairs, and, and it's the right amount of chairs, and we just keep adding one on the side. Now you're going to look for it. You're going to be touching the wall soon, and then you'll realize, like, I'm up against the wall here, and I can't see Chad, uh, but, but that's just something that's happening here, and you can see, and it's great. We love it. You who are new, we're thankful for you. Uh, you who are um, back, we're thankful for you. But there's, there's, there's so many other things. You can't see, like, like prayer. Uh, I mean, I've been amazed to watch our, our prayer ministry grow in this last year. It's one of the things that I wanted. It's one of the stated goals for this year, 2019, came out of my mouth. I want us to become a better praying church. I want our prayer meeting to grow. And I've just been amazed to watch people pray. And what's so cool, and this, is, this has always been a part of our church, but it's being magnified now. We're a church that people are asking to pray for their family members that have left our church long ago, that 
don't go to our church. We are a church that people think to reach out to uh, about, even though they don't go to our church. But on top of that, we're praying for people that we've never met before that are connected in one way or another to somebody in our church. And our people, our prayer team, and, and our church as a whole take so seriously these prayer requests. And I'm amazed to watch it grow and develop. Financially, we're in a good place. Heard something I never thought I'd hear here the other day. Somebody said, well, we have financial resources. I was like, what? We do? <laughs> I should have known. <laughs> like, that's different. Uh, I mean, I remember a time when I couldn't buy a new charger for my laptop. And I thought, well, that's going to be hard to make a sermon, you know? Like, th- that's not good. And, and all of a sudden, to look and, and to ask the question, I thank you for your faithfulness. And, and man, we think it's so important that you give. And, and we are grateful when you do. But, but just to be able to go, like, what is God giving us this money that's a different question part of that is hiring a children's ministry person but there's resources and it's like this is incredible like this changes how we think about doing ministry and the impact that we can have man i've heard this the thing this is from somebody that moved away the thing we miss most about living there is church that's big and somebody said to me just recently we moved here to go to this church i don't know if they were being nice but that's a big deal Like, that says something about the church that we live in. We have this impact in our community, and man, if you've been around, I've said this before, but but so much of what people knew about our church before, years ago, two, three, four years ago, is that we own property. They, I would hear it all the time. Where do you work? I work at Creekside Bible Church. Oh, you own property. And now, it's like, wow, you guys do so much in this community. I hear great things about your church. Well, I had, somebody said it to me the other day. They said, you've done such a good job at that church, somebody in this community, and they don't know what I've, if I've done a good job or a bad job, but they know that you are making an impact on the community. That's what they, they know, and so they just looked at me and said, you've done such a great job. And, and really, it's you doing such a great job of being in the community. There was a time here when I was really bitter uh, towards people that had left our church in the bad days. I, I'm... I'm a person that values loyalty greatly. And, and to me, and, and my wife knows this, to me, it was, it was you left us and we were left picking up your pieces. I felt that for a lot of years. And now you know what I feel when I think about people who have left this church? And I, I, man, this sounds arrogant and I'm sorry, but, but it's true. I feel bad for people. I think like, man, this is incredible. What I'm, what I'm a part of here, the love that I see, uh, the passion I see, the, the expectation that I see here of what God is going to do and keep doing in our midst, the, the prayer that I see here, the way that God is using us to minister to the hurting and the dying, even people who don't go to our church, that's incredible to see. And I feel bad for people who just said, ah, it's hard right now, and they left and they're probably not seeing anything like I get to see on a daily basis. And I'm sorry if it sounds arrogant, but that's how I feel about it because God is doing so many great things here at our church. It's miraculous. Not many churches get to see what we've seen. This church has almost died twice 
and both times has come back from the dead, and you sit here this morning excited about the future of this church. We sit here today hiring a new children's ministry person for our growing abundant of, abundance of kids. It's, it's crazy. Stop having children. It'll be helpful. But, um, but like, I mean, it just keeps going. In one group, there's 25 kids back there, and we're just trying to figure out what to do, and every time we figure out what to do with kids, we're like, well, that doesn't work anymore because there's new ones. Like, this is incredible. People don't see this. Churches just die. And we stand here and we go, look what God is, like, I mean, not to be overly spiritual, but I'm preaching, so you'll forgive me, but like, this is a resurrection story. And, and we believe that God brings things back from the dead, and he's done that here at this church. And it's incredible to be a part of it. But notice, <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I can imagine all this. And this passage says that God by his power can do more than I can imagine. Uh, let me, let me, I'm going to read something that's very long and, and it might be so boring to you, but it's on our website. It lives on our website and usually it says we and, and, and maybe you don't know this. I think it's under there. It's just like the vision and, and, and it's the, it comes, it's this thing that comes from a seminary class long before I was a pastor where the guy said, make some bullet points of the type of church you want to be at. So I sat there and made some bullet points and I've left that in a document forever and ever. And, and as our church has kind of developed, I added some language to it and took it from bullet points to uh, something much longer, as you'll see in a second. But man, here's, here's what I can imagine. Oh, and it says envision on our website, but I thought to fit the passage, I would use imagine. And I think we should change it because imagine is a more powerful word. I imagine a church whose people proclaim the gospel consistently and constantly. I imagine a church that baptizes people every week at every gathering. I imagine a church that helps the gospel helps take the gospel to every nation. I imagine a church whose people gather with an expectation that the spirit of God will move in powerful and profound ways and that expectation is met. I see that gathering as impacting the lives of every person in attendance, causing Christians to worship God passionately in spirit and in truth, to repent of sins, to deepen in faith and to make commitments and causing non-Christians to recognize that God is really among us. This recognition often leading them to give their lives to God through Jesus. I imagine a church where all people are in deep relationships with others. These relationships being characterized not by worldly interests, but by spiritual discussion and support. I imagine a church where every person who gathers with the church uses their spiritual gifts and natural abilities to passionately serve the church. This service meeting the needs of the church and the needs of the hurting and broken around us helping widows, comforting or orphans, feeding the hungry, providing water to the thirsty, being hospitable to the stranger, giving clothes to the naked, and caring for the sick. I imagine a church that prays spirit-led, fervent, persevering prayers while expecting God to change the world in response to them. I imagine a church whose people spend time alone with God in prayer, Bible reading and praise, growing in their love and knowledge of God and what he has revealed to us in his word. I imagine a church that makes a dent in the Great Commission, all the while being driven by an insatiable desire to see our Lord, King, and Savior glorified as we live and move and find our being in Him and His presence. I imagine a church that express, experiences and expresses God's glory. But I can even imagine more. I can imagine more. I can imagine a church that is large without being a show. 
Those things just don't seem to go together. I can imagine a church that plants hundreds of other churches. I can imagine a church who is a model because it holds so tightly to the biblical narrative that God has given us for church, following the commands that God has laid forward for this organization, the church, and causing others around us to look and go, wow, we should do that too. I can imagine a church doing missions around the world. I can imagine a lot. And this passage says that God can do immeasurably more than all that I imagine. That's crazy. And notice it's done by his power. It's, it's a big deal, right? I mean, this isn't going to be our great ideas. This isn't going to be us having some master plan, following some book that tells us exactly how to get it done. It's going to be by the power of God. And we do believe God is powerful, right? Don't we? I mean, I mean, God created the world. If you're a Christian, you believe that God created all of this. That makes him pretty powerful. We believe that, that God has done miracle after miracle, some of which you can read in the Old Testament, like parting the Red Sea, healing people. We believe in a powerful God. We believe in a powerful God because we believe that Jesus walked the earth and when he walked the earth, he did things that no mere man could ever have done, healing feeding, walking on water, go down the line. And we believe that that same Jesus was resurrected from the dead by the work of a powerful God. And not only that, but he has called you, if you're a Christian, into salvation by his incredible grace and power. And Paul writes, as God inspires him, this God wants to do immeasurably more than all that you can imagine. Jesus said something to the same effect in John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. But here's, here's this is the problem. This is, here's the problem, ready? It's done by the the work of God, the power of God, notice this, is done through the power of God, but that power is at work within us. God is the electricity behind the work that's being done, but we're the conduit. And so it do, we just don't go, hey, wow, God's going to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. No, no, no. If that's going to happen, it's going to be the power of God working through you. Here's what I need every person to know that sits in front of me to everybody that will listen online. Here's what I want every, every person to know on the planet. You have a purpose. And that purpose is, we'll come to this in just a minute, is centered on bringing glory to God. But, but God has said within that purpose, look, I've uniquely created you to work out that purpose. And then he left this organization called the church in order that you can be equipped to do that work that he's given you. I think if we look around, we go, well, God's not doing immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I mean, we don't see that. I think it's because we are not stepping up to the plate to be the conduits of God, conduits of God's power. That's the problem. At, at our church, we have these, these mission statements, and we, we, we want every person to experience and express God's glory, and we think that's done through thoughtful gospel proclamation, personal sanctification, theocentric, impactful gathering, spiritual loving connection, passionate, compassionate service, fervent, persevering prayer, and sacrificial giving. 
And we think that every person that's a part of the church needs to do those things. But all of those things, while they're, they're uniform for each person that's a part of the church, they are also so unique. And they are so tailored to your individual skills and gifts and personalities. And that's what makes church so cool. And I can promise you that as, if people have said to me, like, hey, what are we going to look like in five years? And, and I tell you, at every step of the way, while I've been the pastor of this church, I, I've said this, and it's hard to do in practice. It's easy to do in theory. But I've said, I don't know. Because we're not going to be a church where Chad says, this is what I want us to look like, and then we plug everybody in. We're going to be a church that looks at who God brings us and then asks the question, what does that mean about where we're headed? There's no five-year plan here because we don't know who God's going to bring and how God's going to equip them by his incredible power. And so we keep taking one step after another forward saying, God, who are you bringing? What are you calling us to do? Because we want to see you do immeasurably more than what we can possibly imagine. You see, God wants to do such, I believe, incredible work here. Why else would God bring us back from the dead twice as a church? I think he wants to do incredible things here. And, and he will, he will, as long as we step up to the plate and say, God, what's my role in that? I, I, I will say here that all of these things, these things that we've called every person in our church to, they're all focused on one thing. And that's what he says next in the verse, I've already alluded to it twice, in, in verse 21, Philippians three twenty-one. to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen here's the deal all that we imagine all that we imagine should be centered on one thing the glory of god i think the question that every church should be asking is is not what's always worked what is the cool church down the road doing what's going to get more people in here next sunday what's the best marketing plan it should be what is going to bring glory to the God that we serve? That's the question. What is going to bring glory to God? I mean, what a powerful ending to this chapter. To him be glory in the church. Everything we do should be centered on glorifying God, experiencing and expressing God's glory. I'll tell you that this, is, this has been, I mean, part of the reason that this church is, is moving forward, I think, is connected to God bringing this to my mind. And if you've been around a while, if you've been through our membership course, then you've heard me talk about this. But I think it's worth saying here on a Sunday morning, I, I spent six months at every single meeting with Brandon, uh, just so discontent with where our church was at. And I'd been the pastor three years, so it was all my fault. Uh, but like, I, 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 maybe more, four years maybe, and, and every single meeting, he would just get this earful of me saying, something is missing. I don't know what's missing. Like, we have a good blueprint here, and I think we're focused on doing biblical things and doing things in a way that pleases God, and we're, we work hard. And the church was growing. It wasn't like we were shrinking. It was growing. It was moving forward. Things were, were decent, but I just would say, Brandon, like, just hear me out. Here's, like, our mission statement. Here's every other church's mission statement to love God and love people, you know, something like that. And, like, something's off here. And then one day it just hit me. So much of, of what we talk about is man-centered. And everything that we do should be God-centered. 
Obviously, people are a part of that. We want to reach as many people as possible. I, it is, if there is a stated five-year plan, it's that we baptize people every single Sunday as part of our church service. It's going to be terrible because we're a mobile church to get water in here, but we know how to do it now. But that's, if there's a stated five-year plan, it's that every Sunday we are baptizing people because God is using us to reach people so quickly. That's it. That's the whole, that's the whole plan. Sorry, it's not better, but that's the whole entire plan. We want to reach people. But the shift that one day I just hit as I was talking through this with Brandon for month after month after month is, is wait, we want to reach people for people. And we need to want to reach people for God. And as soon as we made that shift, (laughs) this is real. I mean, we've seen things move forward. We had prayed for however many years for 75 people on a Sunday morning. It's like we made that shift and all of a sudden we went to 75 and started praying for more. We had prayed for more leaders for years. It's like we made that shift and all of a sudden some of you showed up and said, I'm here to lead, you know, like I can do this. Uh, It's been incredible. I think God just looked down at us and said, bingo, I've been waiting for you to say that. I've been waiting for that. To him be glory in the church. That's, that's the goal of the church. And by the way, let me just explain glory. The New Testament's word for glory is doxa, which denotes the recognition which anyone finds or which belongs to a person. In the Old Testament, the word for glory refers to weight. Some author that I quoted a while back says, the word glory is related to God in the Old Testament, bears with it the idea of greatness, of splendor. In the New Testament, the word translated glory means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. When we put these two together, we find that glorifying God means acknowledging, acknowledging his greatness, giving him honor and praise. Uh, there's two sides of God's glory, kind of, and, and really it's the expressed glory of God that we all want to experience. Sometimes I think referred to as holiness in the Bible. I think those words, the expressed glory of God and the holiness of God are intertwined together. And then there's glory in what we do. We bring glory to God. We show the weight of, of God, the value of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, his inherent greatness. We show that in the things that we do. And so we experience, we want all people to experience the glory of God and then to turn around and to express that glory. That's what we think the church exists for to experience the glory of God and then to turn around and say, how can we express that glory to others? How can we express that glory to others? God is glorious. All the things I mentioned earlier, creation and miracles and Jesus and the resurrection and drawing you into a relationship with him, it all points to the greatness, the holiness, the glory of the God that we serve if we're Christians. And we just want to experience it. We just want to know about it and understand it better and grow in our embracing of God's gloriness. And, and I hope that every year at this church, our, our view of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger as we experience him on a personal and corporate level. And I hope at the same time that we turn around and we say, how can we show the world the greatness of our God? And I think because we've looked at the Bible and said, what does God want a church to do? I think it happens through proclaiming the gospel and through growing in our personal uh, spiritual lives and through impactful gatherings that are focused on him and through connecting and relationships that go beyond the cowboys playing later and, and serving and praying and giving. It's all pointing towards us experiencing and then expressing the incredible glory 
of God. The incredible glory of God. Glory's a big deal in the Bible, and it's kind of underrated in my opinion. We talk about all these other big church Christian words, but like glory's super underrated. And in fact, you've, you've maybe never even thought about this, but a verse that a lot of people here I'm sure know that talks about why we needed a Savior actually uses the word glory, Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption of that came by Jesus Christ. Part of the reason that we needed Jesus to come down, die on a cross, pay the weight of our sins, pay the punishment of our sins, part of the reason that we needed that is because we, our lives, the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think, they fell short of the expressed holiness of God, the inherent greatness of God, his glory. And Jesus said, hey, I got you. You've fallen short, but I'm going to die so that you may make up the difference. All you have to do is accept me as your Savior. And if you've done that, and you become a part of the church, the broad church, the universal church, all Christians everywhere, but then you get into a church, and now it's your job to continue to strive to experience that glory and then to express it. John Piper said it this way, the vindication of God's glory is the grounds of our salvation and the exaltation of God's glory is the goal of our salvation. Man, I wish I talked like John Piper. Listen again. The vindication of God's glory is the grounds for our salvation and the exaltation of God's glory is the goal of our salvation. John John MacArthur says, now we are to give him glory, not in the sense that we add to his nature, but in the sense that we give testimony to his glory. Everything that we do as a church should give testimony to the glory of God. What's worth celebrating? Here's what's worth celebrating. I think a church worth celebrating is a church that is striving to experience and express the glory of God. If your numbers are going down or going up, still worth celebrating if, if you if you see all the problems on a Sunday morning you know we added TVs today I was running around again you might have noticed uh, it, uh, it's like if, if the soundboard goes bad like last week ah, it's okay as long as we're here aiming to experience and express the glory of the God that we serve then we should always be celebrating that but we should always be trying to move forward and do it more and more at the same time there's this phrase, and I love it, man, I love it. It came out of the Reformation, soli deo gloria. It means glory to God alone. And I just wonder what happened to that idea through the years because I look around at the modern American church and most people, most people, and maybe this is you, are saying, how does this glorify me? How does this fill me up? How does this make me look better? How does this move my position forward? How does this help me? 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 But we should be shooting for God's glory alone. The Westminster Catechism said, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our chief aim in life should be God's glory. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
I feel like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if like eating and drinking should be aimed at glorifying God, then your church involvement should too. <laughs> just makes sense to me. As I look at you, I, I just want you to know that you have a purpose. A- and that purpose, the reason that you're created, we're going to talk more about this in the next series, this kind of unintentional connection here, but, but that purpose is all centered around, th- the reason you were created is all focused on you experiencing and expressing the glory of God. That's your purpose. And I hope that, that you would strive for that. And as it pertains to this church, I hope you would be involved in things that we're doing, that you'd be trying to make it better, not so that we look cooler, not so that we can impress people, so not so that we can please people, not so that everybody here can be happy with the way things are going, but so that we more and more can express the glory of God to all people for God's glory. And then I'd bring it all the way back and say, man, if you'll do that, if you'll do that, then our imagination is not even a limit on what God will do in this place. I think we all imagine having a building on our property someday. That's not even, that's not even, a, that's a small thing. We'll blow right through that if all of you step up and with me say, hey, we're here to experience and express the glory of God. A life or ministry that doesn't aim to glorify God is not worth celebrating but a life or ministry that does aim to glorify God is always worth celebrating, even when we don't see the results. Let me finish with Psalm 115.1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that this would be a church (laughs) that would experience and express your glory, Lord. I, as much as anybody here, sees all the things that we can do better, all the ways that we can grow all the areas that we are falling short, Lord. But I also see, God, how many ways we're already doing this, and I want it, I just, I pray we'd always be balanced, we'd be even, because we'd always be aiming for the same thing. On a good Sunday, a bad Sunday, a great turnout at a prayer night, or a bad turnout at a prayer night, in a small group where conversation is flowing and spiritual, and a small group where it kind of hits a dead end, I pray that in all of it, Lord, we all together would be aiming to experience and express your glory. Because God is one song that just is popping into my head, says your glory is to us, our our goodness, Lord. Uh, I believe, God, that what we need is, is you, your presence. And I pray that you would come down and, and God, you would work through us to do immeasurably more than I could possibly imagine And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.